So when I start a new hobby, I have this like new hobby enthusiasm, like this optimism, like this could be it for me. Like if I start something new, I'm like, what if this is my hidden talent and this is where, you know, everyone's going to be like, wow, I'll be on TV. I'll, if it's snowboarding, I'll be on the Olympics. Uh, reason why is because a couple of years ago, I went five times snowboarding for my first time, first season. First season, I went snowboarding and I was hitting jumps by like the fourth and fifth time. Now, they weren't like huge jumps. I wasn't getting all this air, but it was enough that I'm like, hey, I'm really picking this up fast. Like, I might be able to be in the Olympics. Not the Olympics that just happened, but like the next one. You know, I start getting, you know, start daydreaming a little bit. But life got in the way and things got busy. And it was a few years since I had the opportunity to go out, except for recently. And so I'm thinking, I'm going to shake the rust off. It's going to be great. So uh, me, Joe Patty, and Nick Robb, we went, we took a day trip to Vermont, took a bus. They, they did all the work. And so we get there. We're all excited to go snowboarding. And I'm thinking, I'm going to shake the rust off. I'm going to pick up where I left off. I'm going to hit bigger jumps. I'm going to do better things. No. <laughs> so the way it started was we were going down the hill, and I'm like, okay, I'm remembering. how to make some adjustments to my board. I did all that. I'm coming down the, you know, the slope, and I, I see there's a shortcut. Let me take a shortcut. And in, in life, you know, we're told to take the, the road less travel, or like the narrow road, as the Bible puts it. I'm thinking, this is biblical. Let's do this. So I go off the path, which is, you know, you shouldn't do. And now, no. And as I'm going, I start like, I'm like sliding through my, all right, this is cool. And then I start to slow down. And then I start to sink. And before you know it, I'm like in five feet of snow in this pit. And I'm like trying to crawl my way out. And the worst part was it was right above the uh, ski lift. So people are coming up and they're looking down. They're like, oh, look at him struggle there. And they just <laughs> see me just crawling in this hole. It was great. Uh, so that, that was how the day started, so it was only going to get better from there. Uh, but anyway, so then we, we decided to go to a different part of the mountain, so we go on a different lift. And this is a lift I wasn't used to, it was a little bit older. And so we, we, you know, we take the ski, you know, ski lift up, and you get to the point where you get to the top, and then you're supposed to get out, right? And so Joe Patty jumps off, and he slides, and, and I didn't. <laughs> I just stayed right on. And... Uh, there's actually a picture up on the screen, and, and here's the thing about this. They just stood there, and they stopped the lift, and I was dangling between 50 feet of air, and they, my friends just took pictures. They were, like, they were like, we have videos. So I'm just showing you the picture, but it actually works because conditions were rough, and look at that cone. It's almost as big as me. I didn't want to land on it. That's all, right? So the next scene is me going down because there's nothing they could do, and they can't back that thing up in reverse. So I'm going down the wrong way on the ski, slow, uh, ski lift, and you can imagine how this is going to play out. Because I'm in Vermont. Skiing is life. Like, people, like, ski, snowboard, like, they live and breathe it, and then they see some knucklehead from Long Island coming down the wrong way on the ski lift. And so this gives everyone license to say whatever they want. And so as this is happening... I have people mocking me. There was some guy who was kind of up the other way, and he goes, what happened, man? You forget to get off the lift? And I'm like, yeah, no, man. I just pay all this money to ride the lift up and down all day. Yes. And see, I was reminded pretty swiftly that day that, no, you're not going to be in the Olympics ever. <laughs> not going to happen. No one's going to even, like, take a picture and be like, look at that. This is a snowboarder. No one will use you as an example. Why? Because I'm not 
good enough. And here's the thing. The Olympics just ended, and this is kind of fresh on our minds, right? Um, in order to be in the Olympics, you have to be awesome. Like, you have to be the best of the best. You have to have all of these qualifications. There's so many different things you need to do before you can even appear in those games, right? And here's what I realized, and I think you might have realized it too when you were watching the Olympics, because even when someone does well, we can still judge their performance, right? Like, like forget about the judges that were there. All of us kind of turn into these judges sitting on our couches at home, right? We sit there and we're like watching. And there's all these people that they're doing like a triple axle and they land a little crooked. And then they get a silver medal and we're all like, ah, come on, like, silver like we get so frustrated you know people are this one guy's going down a snowboard hill and he takes a jump does a backflip lands crooked but gets bronze we're like oh you know like these people are eating like chicken and rice and veggies and they have six-pack abs and they're working really hard week in week out right and you and I we sit on our couch eating KFC judging them they're like you're not good enough but these people are doing amazing things. And if we zoom out, we would see, wow, they're so, so talented. But the reason why you and I can, can you know, this is playful, just laugh and, be, and, and look at ourselves and be like, wow, we're really hard on these, these Olympians that are doing awesome, right? Um, I think the reason why we do that is because culture trains us to celebrate performance. Our culture celebrates performance to a really high degree, that they set the pace too fast and the standard way too high. You ever hear of someone saying, you know, an artist is only as good as their last painting? Or a musician's only as good as their last song? A pastor is only as good as his last message? No pressure. <laughs> but tomorrow, what we're going to be reminded of when it comes to our culture is we're going to be reminded of if you do well, right, when we go back to school, we go back to work, we're going to be reminded you do well, you get a raise. You know, you bring the numbers up, the boss is happy. For those of us in school, the higher the grades you get, the better you will get to the college you want to go to next, or you'll get the scholarship. See, everything is a fight, and, I, and sometimes it feels like we're being graded in every area of our life. And the question I have is, do you ever feel exhausted? Like you're being great in everything you do. I, I could feel like this. I've been very focused on my performance lately. Lately, I've been, I've been thinking about all the things I want to do. You know, I'm talking with other uh, worship pastors. and They're like, yeah, this, this year, our church is going to put out a CD. And I'm like, all right, we're going to write a song, but we got to get this going. And so I, I'm looking at myself. I'm saying I have like 38 projects I'm working on. Not really 38, but I have a lot of things I'm working on, and, and I, I have nothing to show for it. I'm, I've been just thinking personally about, man, I just got to do more. I got to get more done. And so often, I think that's just a product of our culture that is just nonstop pushing us to achieve. If I were to come up to one of you after the service and ask you how life is, uh, I'd probably get one of two responses. I'd either get, it's good, I'm just busy. Or it would be, man, I'm just so tired. Because we live in a world that is just so fast-paced, pushes performance. You got to achieve, 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 and get a lot done. And here's why this is important. Hard work is important. 
Hard work's a great thing. I'm not saying today that we shouldn't achieve, we shouldn't try, I, we sh- as a church shouldn't put out a CD that we're trying to do, you know? But I think the thing is, is that so often, instead of finding satisfaction in our work, we try to find our value in it. You know, King Solomon, one of the wisest kings in the Bible, said, hey, God has given us a task, do it, find satisfaction in it. But our world trains you and I to not only find satisfaction in it, but find our value in it, find our identity in it. And we begin to think that we are valuable because of what we do, not who we are. And see, Doug is going to be talking about this in a few weeks. And so maybe you're saying, okay, well, if that's true, then I'm looking at the screens right now, and the name of your message today is Unearthing Faith. So what does this, this culture that's bent on performance have to do with my faith? Well, the answer to that is everything. Everything. Because we live in a culture where we measure ourselves against the best, or we measure ourselves against the worst, and we're saying, well, I'm better than, and we can get so focused on our performance that we miss what real faith is. We begin to think that we're either better or worse than other people, and some of us maybe don't even try as time goes on. Now see, this morning there's two types of faith. There's faith that is from this earth, that is rooted in our culture, rooted in how our world tells us to live. That's, there's faith that's, that comes from that, but today there's also faith that comes from God. Earthly faith is defined in this setting as this. It's rooted in our own merits. It's our own achievements. That we are to work our way to God. And our performance, it kind of dictates our relationship with him. So if we perform well, then God's going to love us. If we, you know, outweigh the good and the bad, the scale that we kind of so, so often go to, well, if I outweigh, you know, all my bad with good, then God's going to love me, right? God's going to you know, bless me and heal me, right? Or if we, but then the inverse is true. That if we begin to perform badly, then we feel, oh, well, then God is going to deny me. God is going to not love me. He's not going to be on my side. And the problem is that when we live in a performance-based culture, that often we can naturally kind of take that same mentality and bring it into our faith. And so it's important that we reflect on where real faith comes from. Because in a culture that idolizes performance, you and I, what happens? We all struggle with performance. We all sin. We are all, like, not perfect. If you are perfect here this morning, like, wow, that's a, it's impossible, honestly. <laughs> because we all mess up. And so at one point or another, we're going to be really hard on ourselves. And some of us, that's why we have not given faith a shot again. Maybe that's why if, if some of you are, are, have not been in church for years and you're coming back, maybe it's because, man, it's just been so hard. And I just feel like I don't measure up. Well, today we have something to talk about that can give us hope. And see, what's at stake here today is this. If our relationship with God is based on our performance in the least bit, then we're going to experience high highs, and we're going to experience low lows, and we can all agree that most of life is lived in between. Most of life is lived in between. And so if we're trying to please God and we're good at it sometimes, or or we're failing, like we're going to have such high highs and low lows, and our faith will be dysfunctional and un stable and we're going to miss out on what God wants to do in our lives so it's important today that we kind of take a moment and we pause and we reflect where does faith really come from because so often maybe what we know with our minds 
doesn't trickle down into our hearts. And if you're not a Christian here this morning or you're trying to grasp faith, um, we're glad you're here. And this is a place where you want, we want you to ask questions. This is a place where we want you to bring your doubts and say, hey, what about this? What about that? Because we encourage genuine faith, not this put on, you know, like put your Sunday best on, show up to church and, and go home. We want you to have a genuine faith. So first off, you're, you're welcome here. But maybe um, because of how the world is, you've believed the lie that it's all about your performance to get God to pay attention to you. And maybe that's why it's been so hard for you to connect with God. Well, today we have news that is called the gospel, that we're going to just kind of revisit here today and invite God into it. And so where we're headed is I want us to look at faith that is not of earth. I want us to look at faith that is beyond. And I want to encourage us and, uh, that to let God unearth our faith. And so we're going to be in Colossians uh, chapter 2, and we're going to start at the end of chapter 2. We're going to go into chapter 3. And Paul, he is an apostle. He is writing a letter to a church that is struggling with this. This church is struggling with, with, you know, trying to follow God and trying to earn his favor. And so he's writing and speaking about this exact topic. And just a note here, when Paul wrote it, it was a letter. There was no chapters. And so we're going to start from chapter 2 and go into 3. But just so you know, same conversation. And we're going to dissect this as we go through it. So we're going to start in Colossians chapter 2. Verse 20, you'll be up on the screen. If you, had die, if you have died with Christ to the elementary principles of the world, why, as if you were living in the world, do you submit yourselves to decrees such as do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, which all refer to things destined to perish with use in accordance with the commandments and the teachings of men. And so just a few background on who Paul is talking to. Paul is talking to Jewish and Gentile people who grew up under a strict law system. So they made man-made rules to try to earn God's love. So he's speaking to these people. But what he's saying here, he's saying, look, it's not a free-for-all. He's not, that's not what he's saying. He's not saying, you know, why are you following these rules? He's saying, hey, look, you have Jesus now. Why are you still trying to earn it on your own merit? Why are you trying to earn it yourselves? He continues in verse 23. These are matters which have to be sure the appearance of wisdom and self-made religion and self-abasement and severe treatment of the body, but are of no value against fleshly indulgence. They're of no value against fleshly indulgence. So this is a little confusing, the way he phrases it, so we're just going to break it down slowly here this morning. See, these people were known as being extreme. Like I said before, strict rules, trying to earn God's love. And this was known in some ways, what Paul was condemning was asceticism. And asceticism is severe discipline or avoidance of all forms of indulgence to prevent themselves from sinning. So it was basically like they would try to earn their own holiness. Some other cultures, like for instance, when Buddha, before he was, quote, enlightened, uh, he, would, he starved himself. And so he denied food. Some other cultures, they would lay on beds of nails. These are examples of asceticism. People trying to rid themselves of moral desire so that they can, um, immoral desire, I mean, so that they can obey a, at a greater level. And what Paul is talking against is saying, guys, you are, you are following all these rules, trying to make yourself holy. It's not going to happen. And as we kind of look at our culture, 
Our culture, you might be saying, well, Andrew, I don't really see much of asceticism. I don't see much people abusing themselves, trying to make themselves holy. If anything, I see quite the opposite. We live in a culture that's overindulgent, that says, you want it, go for it. You know, do it to the thousandth degree. But I think we can all realize that when someone gets to the point or any of us get to the point where we say, you know what, wow, I want to get my life right with God or I want to be right with God, we can then attempt to, and by default, go by the means of religious tradition, by, by earning. We, we, we you know, maybe go into the closet, dust off the good and bad scale, we pull it out, and we try to weigh out our good and bad and say, okay, I got to do all this good and then, then God will love me. And some of us, Man, maybe you took that scale out a long time ago and you left it away because I've just done too much bad in my life. I remember when I was younger, uh, I went to a sweet 16, and I was talking with my friend, and she was, you know, there, and I, I, we somehow started talking about God, and she said something along the lines of this. She said, I feel like God will never forgive me for what I've done. And I remember being blown away when I was younger, but now that I'm older, I'm looking back at that time, and I'm like, that girl was like, what, 14? She was the quiet girl down the block, and, and in her mind, she's already like discounted everything she's done, that she can never be closer to God. And why do I bring that up? I bring that up because from a young age, this idea of performance and earning God's love is ingrained in you and I. And that's part of our earthly faith that we need to unearth here this morning. And see, rituals will not fix that. One of my favorite bands, Thrice, uh, has some lyrics that I want to share with you. I think that kind of breathes life into this topic. It says this. this is from the song, All the World is Mad. It says this. We can't medicate men to perfection again. We can't legislate peace in our hearts. We can't educate sin from our souls. It's been there from the start. And, and what is the songwriter getting at here? I think it ties into us talking about earthly faith. Because the error of earthly faith is this. We think that we can control our sinful nature by willpower. If I just take this medication or I take more of a vacation so I, I, I get de-stressed so I won't be as angry. We begin to think that we are the answer to our sin problem. That we are the solution. We try to go off our willpower. It is now March. And, and I don't want to see a show of hands real quick because I don't want to embarrass anyone. But how many of you got a gym membership in January? Or know someone who got it? We all, because we all go to the gym here. We're all strong, right? So we know someone who got a gym membership in January. And now it is March. I can almost guarantee that attendance is tapered off. All right? Just maybe a little bit, right? Because here's the thing. We all know that willpower, it can create change for a time. We can see our willpower, you know, the times in my life that I looked in the mirror and said, this is going to be the time. I'm going to read all these books. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. And I'm going to grow. The times in my life I've done that, I haven't changed. But the times that I tried to use my willpower, I've always fallen short. And likewise, willpower only works for a short amount of time. And what Paul is getting at this, he's saying, look, when we try to do all these outward things to earn God's love and earn his favor... It looks like wisdom. We could look at people being like, wow, look at them starving themselves and hurting themselves to, to earn God's love. Like, they're just, like, that could look spiritual. In culture, we're like, wow, they're, they're a spiritual person we hear when we hear something about that. But what Paul is saying, he's saying that looks wise, it looks spiritual, but it's no match to the fleshly indulgence that you and I struggle with. 
Our world is all about how it looks on the outside, all about the Instagram highlights, right? But what remains untouched sometimes is our heart. Willpower only goes so far, and Paul is reminding these people, hey guys, it's, you're going to fall short. That external religion, it creates a hard heart, and your heart still stays polluted. And maybe this is why so often you and I, we could be so exhausted when it comes to trying to live out our faith. Because our faith is rooted in us trying to perform at such a high level. And here's what we need to realize. That faith is a gift. Faith is a gift. God gives that gift. See, here's the truth about a gift. I can't earn a gift, right? If you guys were to come up to me and say, Andrew, I want to give you a new car. I want to give you a Dodge Ram with a Hemi in it. I'm, I'm not being specific on purpose. Um, for free, and it's a gift to replace your wife's car that you don't like. Again, example. If you were to give that to me, I'd be like, whoa, thanks. But if I showed up at your house tomorrow, painting your fence, mowing your lawn, washing your car, you'd come out and you'd be like, what are you doing? And I'm like, I'm just here trying to earn my gift. You'd be confused, or you would call the police just to get me out of there, right? Because you don't do that. The only thing with a gift that you could do is receive a gift. You can't do anything else with it. And likewise, we try to earn the gift that God has given you and I. It's based on his love and his performance, not ours. And so Paul is talking to the church here, and he's saying this. I know what your missing ingredient is. It's Jesus. As we kind of think about our own lives and our own busyness and everything that's going on, do we often live our faith apart from Jesus? Like we're doing it for Jesus, but we can often live kind of like it's up to us. And see, what we see here today is that faith starts, faith from God starts with Jesus. Faith from God starts with him. And the, that's the beautifulness of the gospel, is that God looked at us sinners, he said, these guys can't do it. There's no way they can do it. And so I am going to do it for them, and I'm going to rescue them. And so Paul continues this conversation. Colossians 3, he says this, Therefore, if you have been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. And so, therefore, as we continue this conversation, it's like, in light of you being tempted to do rituals, to do all these, to, to take out your scale and, and try to do more good to outweigh the bad, in light of that, what we are to do now is seek Christ. Keep seeking the things above. And see, when Christ died, his death was to pay for our sin. Like all of it. Like sin that we committed last week, two years ago, ten years ago. Sin we're going to commit today. Sin we're going to commit tomorrow. All of it is covered by Christ. That is what his death was for. And when he was raised, he was considered holy and pure and the author of my faith and the author of your faith. And what Paul is saying is when we accept him, that we've been raised with him. Okay, so if Christ has been raised and considered pure and the author of faith, then if we accepted him, then we are considered as raised with him, right? Which means that our sins are paid. Which means no longer should your faith be rooted in your performance and your own works, but it should be rooted in his. God views you and I as pure and holy when we accept that gift of salvation. And here's the thing. 
so often we are more aware of our failures than we are of that truth. And so the truth is that no longer it's up to me to try to legislate peace in my heart. Now, I, I give God my mess, right? But he's the one who does the changing. And when we accept him, he gives us the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit begins to create faith in us. God uses that Holy Spirit to create lasting faith in me and in you. And so this is where faith starts, rooted in Christ and what he's done for me and what he's done for you. And this is like a tough message because there, as there are two sides to every coin, right, there's two sides to this type of message because, you know, at this point, if we were to end, you can possibly walk away with the idea that, okay, cool, I'm, I'm considered holy, sick, I can do whatever I want now, right? Like, like, think about mobster movies. Like, they do mob things all week, then they go to church, and they go, what's up? And they, like, fix it, right? They, they go before God, and they, they, what happens? Monday, Tuesday, they go back to doing mob things. Like, they, they, they just go to clean the slate. Like, that's not what we're talking about here this morning, and so we have a part to play in our faith after we receive it. And so we're going to cover that right now. What, what, what does that look like? And, and lucky for us, Paul continues in verse 2. He says this, set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. And so when we accept Christ, we're doing our best to follow him. We want what he wants. What this is saying is this, kind of like a compass, how it can point north, right? Our mindset should always be trying to be pointing towards heaven. And so when he says, set your mind on things above, basically it's a fancy way of saying, focus on God's ways. Understand scripture. See, we're a church where we're like, hey, we want you to go home and we want you to study it for yourself. That, that this is, isn't just for us to look at the Bible here and then we all go home and and. and you know, don't study it ourselves. Like, we want you to know it for yourself. Why? Because that grows your faith. And here Paul is saying, when you set your mind on God's ways, then you're going to be changed. See, a lot of people know Christians for what they don't do. Like, oh, they don't do this, they don't do that. And if you were to ask people, why don't you do that? Most people don't know why. See, God gives us commandments for a reason. And so as we study his ways, we're going to realize, yeah, like there's a pattern in scripture. That when you keep lying, there's death to trust, right? When you, when you keep living a life where you're just going from relationship to relationship, it hurts, right? When you are greedy, you make everything about greed and about making money. You miss out on your family. You miss out on your friends. You're just in a constant pursuit and, and make yourself nuts doing it. And so when we kind of just slow ourselves down and we focus on God's ways, well, that's when we see real change happen. And then the next part, I love. And it's, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ and God. When I think of hidden, if I, if I told you I was hidden from my enemies, what does that mean? It means that my enemies can't see me. So then that means I am safe. And so what Paul is getting at here is saying, look, because of what Christ did, that we are safe in him. There's a reason uh, why I do not like basketball. And uh, I've, you know, looked at myself in, in the past, and, I, and I, I've come to this conclusion through counseling and discussion that it was for this one event that happened when I was younger. 
So one of my best friends growing up, uh, he, to give you some perspective, um, I was always short. And when he was in first grade, the fifth graders were like, is he in fifth grade with us? Like, that's how tall he was. Like, he was a tall person. And I was always a short person. But that's not the reason why I don't like basketball. Okay? So I would play basketball, and he was just good at it. He was dunking on kids. Um, he was just fantastic. And I remember being a kid and playing basketball with him. And every time I would mess up, he would just yell at me so bad. Like, he would just whip the ball at me to, to pass it, and it would go through my hands. And he would be so angry. I would, you know, I'm a quick little guy. Run to the net. I'll go to the net, go to take a shot, and I'd miss. And he would just be so angry. And here's the thing. Like, we were in his driveway. Like, there was nothing on the line, you know? But I would get yelled at to the point where I'm like, I'm done. I don't want to play this game with you anymore. And I would just leave. And the reason why is I was afraid of failure. Now, I'd take the ball in my hands. I'm like, all right, don't mess up. He's going to get mad. Don't mess up. He's going to get mad. Take the shot. What happens? I mess up. And I gave up on the game. Now, just so you, some of you know, I watched Kobe's last game, and it started something in me, so I'm giving basketball a second shot in my adult life, but it's only because of the help of good people around me. Anyway, but why did I use that example? Because so often, we can give up on the, in a sense, the game of faith because we feel like that all we experience is failure, right? But we don't have a father that's going to scream at us when we mess up. See, we have a father who already took care of our failures. He played the perfect game. He was better than Kobe. He's better than LeBron. Got it. Again, I'm just getting into basketball again. Better than LeBron. He played a perfect game for us, and he took care of our failures. And he loves us unconditionally. And so when we fail, instead of hiding from God when we fail, we can hide in him. Failing becomes something to learn and grow from instead of something that's a wedge, that puts a wedge between us and God. And maybe, you know, you felt like, oh, I messed up this week, Andrew. Like, I messed up so bad that I don't even want to come to church. Maybe there's been times and seasons in your life where you haven't been in church because you feel like, I'm not perfect. I'm not good enough. And here's the thing. No one is perfect. And the beautiful thing here is that the gospel tore that apart. And the truth is, when we accept Jesus, this opens a door for Christ to come in and live in us. And he becomes our life. And so when God looks at you and me, he sees us as pure. That faith with Jesus is a partnership. And so we live in this tension. We live in this tension that, yes, our sins are covered, but yet God calls us to obey. And because he loved us is why we do. Verse 5, we skip down to, says this, Therefore consider the members of your earthly body as dead to immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and greed, which mount, amounts to idolatry. And so what Paul's getting at here, he's saying, don't use your body to sin. Consider, like something that is dead can't do anything, right? So, so consider your body as like dead when it comes to committing sin. And this is the part we struggle with because we often take the scale out and we try to weigh the good and we try to weigh the bad, but we're so much better remembering our failures than anything else. But we need to realize that often the Bible will talk about us putting to death our carnal desires. Why? 
Because if we don't kill those desires in us, they will kill us. See, God is not out to ruin our fun. He's not setting some unreasonable amount of rules in front of us so that we have to live perfectly because he just wants to just torture us. See, often when you and I seek what we naturally want to seek, it leads to ruin, right? I mean, there are so many examples in this room. There's so many examples in my life. We could all sit here for hours talking about, man, when I pursued this, it brought this pain. When I did what I felt was the best in this situation, when I treated that person like this, you know what, it felt good, but then years later it did this. And we can sit here and trace the cord back to sin and pain every single time. And so Paul is encouraging us, look, live in this freedom that Christ has given you, but be vigilant when it comes to your sin. And so we have a, a responsibility to be assertive when it comes to our faith, and when it comes to trying to defeat sin in our life, but letting God do that in us through his spirit. Here's a principle on this on, that will be up on the screen. When we keep Jesus in focus, he changes us naturally. When we keep our failures in focus, we stay stuck. So when I keep my eyes on Jesus, again, I'm fixing my eyes on his ways, I'm understanding his word, I'm realizing, wow, when I do this, it leads to that, so maybe I shouldn't do it to begin with. Again, we begin to see ourselves moving forward but when we're focused on the failures we're holding the ball don't fail don't fail we take the shot and what's going to happen we will miss every time but the difference now is that we don't do it through willpower alone no see when we accept jesus again he gives us his holy spirit and so when we fall we have a father through his spirit will encourage us will lift us up out of where we've fallen but then lift us even higher to where we couldn't even Go ourselves. So verse 9, you skip down to, he continues to encourage us. He says this, do not lie to one another since you laid aside the old self with its evil practices. So this is simple if we break it down. Don't lie to each other, meaning be real with one another. Part of fixing our mind on God's ways is doing that with one another. Being real. This isn't a place where we're, we want you to put on your Sunday best. We want you to say, hey, I'm struggling with this. Find someone who's going to encourage you, not judge you. Someone who's going to build you up. So don't lie to one another because when you sweep something under the rug, what happens? It's not dealt with. And then he says, since you laid aside the old self. This morning, I used my green jacket for the day because I needed a jacket, right? But when it comes to our faith life, Instead of putting on the jacket, which is our old self, the one that was angry, the one that was frustrating, the one that um, committed X, Y, and Z, right? We could take that off, hang it up, and then put on the new self is what Paul is encouraging us to do. Why? Because Christ died for our failures, so we don't have to be identified as that failure anymore. And verse 10, it's the last verse we're going to settle on here today, and it's powerful. I'm going to read it for us here. Verse 10, and have put on the new self who is being renewed to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created him. Just for us to understand it, I have a different translation of that same verse. It's the God's word translation. I think it'll help us grasp it a little bit more. And then I have an example for us. So verse 10 again, and you've become a new person. This new person is continually renewed in knowledge to be like its creator. Here's the example. A few weeks ago, uh, I went to Stony Brook Hospital, and I 
walked into a room where my friends Joe and Natalie just gave birth to their baby, Eli, cute little guy. For some strange reason, they trusted me to hold him. So I held him for 15 minutes. It's an all-time record for me. Um, and I'm looking at this kid, and he's beautiful. You should see the Instagram pictures later. Um, you might get a whole bunch of extra followers, guys. But I'm looking at him, and he's born, and he's complete. And I, now here's what Joe and Allie aren't doing. They're not like slapping their hands together. All right, Eli, like welcome to the family. We need you to set up your 401k. We need you to figure out what your job's going to be, and you need to start participating in this family. Like, no, none of us would expect that. Why? Because it's a baby. It's a little youngster, right? Like, we realize that though he is born complete, what he is born immature, he needs to grow. And what this verse is talking about, it's talking about our new person being something that though it's complete, though God gives it to us, that it's born immature and that God consistently grows it. And so until we see God face to face, he will be renewing my faith and renewing yours daily, which says something important for us to realize, that faith is a process, not a one-time event. That it's not like you're like, Jesus, I accept you, and now we're perfect, now everything's taken care of, now we're the best people ever, right? No. That faith is a continual process that God works out in us. It's a journey. And Christ is the author of that journey. And he's aware that it's going to take some time to file down our rough edges, especially mine. And so today, don't beat yourself up. Let him do it. Unearth your faith and put it in him. And so this message this morning as we wind it down, it's not encouraging us to abuse God's grace. No, it's an invitation to enjoy his grace as we seek to obey him. And so what I want us to grab here today is this, is that true faith rests in Jesus' accomplishments. True faith, faith that is not of this earth, that is not rooted in our performance, but is rooted in Christ's. That is what's going to make the difference. And so, though we live in a culture that fixates on performance, even idolizes it to a very unhealthy degree, daily, we need to unearth our faith and be reminded that Jesus bought us. He covered our sin, that we are free to live out our faith by his Holy Spirit empowering you and I when we're not able. And we're going to fall but the thing is, we got to keep getting back up, knowing that we're loved, knowing that he's going to renew us day in and day out. The only thing is, we just got to stay in the game. But we don't need to give up on it. We just need to let him play the game through us. And so what do we do? For some of us in this room, this is like brand new. Like it is just, there's a lot, Andrew. I understood like 8% of what you said. And first off, sweet. The gospel is beautiful, but it's also very complex, and we're here to continue to encourage you. For so, some of you who feel a little confused, keep coming back. Keep asking questions. Again, this is a place where we want your faith to grow to a healthy degree. And so for some of us, hey, just keep coming back. Keep asking questions. Keep seeking God. For some of us, we need to take it a step further. I remember uh, in, a, in a tough time in my life, I, I prayed a very simple prayer. And maybe this might be something you could start with, but I remember just saying, God, I'm not getting life right. Help me get life right. I remember just for a season of my life, just praying that over and over again. You know what? He answered that prayer. And maybe for you, you feel like you're not getting life right, but when you pray that prayer, you know that God is for you, not against you. We can also just fix our eyes 
on God's ways. Know scripture, read scripture, be cleaned by scripture. When the world tells you you're not good enough, hey, just know that there's a God that loves you that wants to fight with you. Bring other people into that as well. Let other people encourage you. Surround yourself with those that will encourage you in this journey of faith that is a beautiful process. But for today, let us walk in freedom. Let us let Christ encourage us because true faith rests in Jesus' accomplishments. Would you guys just pray with me one last time of your day? Jesus, we thank you for your grace. We thank you for the gospel. We thank you, God, that you saw that I was unable, that I was a mess. I'm rough around the edges. I am far from perfect. But you looked at us and said you wanted us anyway. That you came and you, you lived a perfect life, that you stepped onto the world that you created. When you were holding the pen to write history, God, you, you jumped into that. And you walked onto the pages of history. And you've lived and you died to purchase us back. And I pray today, God, that we would live in all that you've called us to live in, but that also that we would give you our performance issues. And in that, we would see ourselves succeed more and more. Why? Because our focus and our attention is on you. And your Holy Spirit is making the difference. And so in a performance-based world, God, would you be our light? Would you be our encouragement? Would you be our Savior? And we just invite you, God, to be that difference week in and week out, God, that we would see ourselves transformed and us lifted higher than we could ever have gone on our own. So Jesus, we look to you. We thank you for your grace. We pray all this in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen.